0: letter James teaches us about the good life. You might have different opinions of what the good life is. It's awfully easy to come here and think about summer days and picnics and stuff like that. That's in one definition of what the good life is. James puts a different spin on it. talks about the good life is characterized by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. And then he goes on in this letter to talk a lot about influence. In fact, the subtitle for this Series can be how to win friends and influence people, and James has his own spin. I know I included in the worship folder. There is a summary of uh, some of the points of a book that was put out by Dale Carnegie in 1936, sold 15 million copies worldwide, of the same title or the original title, How to Win Friends and Influence People. Scan this with me, will you? Take this thing out. It, it talks about some things about. Fundamental techniques in handling people, I don't point these out because this is holy writ, but it has a sense of homespun wisdom. And I think we'll find that some of what James says kind of goes along with it. Um, Fundamental techniques in handling people, don't criticize, condemn, or complain. Give honest and sincere appreciation, arousing the other person, an eager want. It seems to indicate that what you do when you're dealing with people is build bridges to them. You don't create walls. You create bridges. You try to find a way to connect with people. Look what it says to 12 ways to win people to your way of thinking. Uh, The only way to get the best of an argument is to avoid it. Interesting. Show respect for the other person's opinion. Never say you're wrong. If you're wrong, admit it quickly and emphatically. Begin in a friendly way. Start with questions to which the other person will answer yes. And we'll see that some of the things that James talks about find common ground be easily persuaded, has this feel to it. Now, we'll find that there's times where we'll have to abandon this in the pursuit of peace, and we'll talk about that. But from a perspective of building bridges, there's some things here that, no, yeah, okay. Let the other person do a great deal of the talking. Let the other person feel the idea is his or hers. Uh, Try honestly to see things from the other person's point of view. We'll talk about dialogue. And dialogue will, as we'll see, is a way to connect with another person, and we'll talk about the three Es of dialogue. There's four D's of communication, and we'll talk about the four D's. You'll know that by the time you go, we'll just, we talked about it last week, and we'll reiterate, just review, and we'll talk about three Es. Some of you might be able to recall what some of those are. I'll tell you what one of them is, is empathy. If you want to dialogue with someone, then you empathize. Sympathize with them. That's what we're told to do here. Be sympathetic to the other person's ideas and desires. Appeal to the nobler motives. That's a word we're going to run into as we find that James is drawing from a passage from the Old Testament in Isaiah, who will talk about what James talks about, and he'll talk about nobility, and we'll end up understanding the definition of nobility, how we can move towards it, and why we don't. dramatize your ideas, some interesting things. Um, James, his advice resonates with the book. In fact, look what it says in James chapter 3, 13 through 18. James 3, 13 through 18. It's in your worship folder. He asks a question, who is wise and understanding among you? And answers it. Let him show it by his good life, by deeds, done in the humility that comes from wisdom. We determine that the word humility is gentleness. That's the way it's described elsewhere. It's the way that Jesus was. To be humble is to be gentle. So that's what the good life is. That's what wisdom is. It manifests itself in gentleness. He goes on, but if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom is, Does not come down from heaven, but is earthly unspiritual, of the devil. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace raise a harvest of righteousness, talks about the, the wisdom from above. Wisdom can come from two places. There's wisdom from below. That tends to build walls. There's wisdom from above. That tends to build bridges. And when the Bible talks about influencing people, they talk about bridges rather than walls. Walls separate people. It's not a way to get someone to come around to your way of thinking. You might win an argument but lose the opportunity to influence. James says don't do that and he describes the wisdom from above as peace-loving, the opposite of combative and pugilistic. It's not contentious, not argumentative. Again, if you're going to try to win someone in a debate, argue with them. If you're going to try to influence them to think as you think, don't debate them. Discuss with them. Um, Considerate. To be considerate literally means to find common ground. And if I'm To be considerate, I will find out ways where you and I stand in the same place. And that's what James says. Wisdom from above does that. It, It builds bridges between people. And that's really what a bridge does, doesn't it? You're on one side, I'm on another. And if I build a bridge to you, I am building a platform on which we can both stand. Now, when you think of that physically, it's, so my vehicle can go over to your vehicle, yours can come to mine. But think of it intellectually. You live in this place intellectually, I live in this place, and our places are divided by maybe political ideology or theology. And what we're going to try to do is find a place where, well, we might feel differently about this, that, and the other, but we do have this in common, don't we? That's building a bridge. It's finding common ground, and it gives us a basis from which we can agree on some things and then talk with each other about what we don't agree with. But it's considerate and then submissive. Submissive means open-minded, easily persuaded. I want to say yes to you. Now, we can't always say yes because there's absolute truths that we can't say yes to things. We'll have to express our opinions. But when we can say yes, we want to do so, what James says. Full of mercy and good fruit, it expresses itself in actions. Talks about being impartial, impartial the word is literally non judgmental and sincere is not hypocritical. So we have this list, as we looked last week, of ways that we are to build bridges between people and, and this is it. Wisdom from above builds bridges of understanding and expresses itself through dialogue. That's what these things seem to they allow. We talked about four Ds of communication. Do you remember them? Dialogue is one of them. It's probably the most difficult one. We'll talk about why. There's debate. You know what a debate is. It's when you argue, when you want to win. And then there is decision-making, where we want to bat around enough things to be able to come to a decision, and then there's also discussion, which, again, we bat around things, but not to make a decision, just to bat things around. Now, all of these forms of communication have their place debate has its place, as does decision-making, as does discussion. But dialogue is unique in that you have to intend to do it. You're not going to fall into dialogue. You might find yourself falling into a debate. You know, you're in line, and somebody says this, and you say, oh yeah, I used to think that, now I think this, and all of a sudden you're in a debate. Sometimes you get in discussions. Maybe you don't even want to get in discussions. You're you're trying to go from point A to point B and then somebody in the neighbor comes over and says, boy, did you see that hail? And you say, I don't want to think about the hail. I think of the dings in my car. And, and then sometimes you end up, a discussion happens upon you. And, and um, decision making. You have to make decisions about things. All these are valid. But dialogue is something you're not going to fall into. You're going to intend to do it because it's challenging. In fact, Daniel Yankelovich says in The Magic of Dialogue that it's a lost art. Dialogue comes from two Greek words. Dia means through, and logos means word. So dialogue is literally through words. There's a wall between us, or there's a separation between us. And dialogue tears down the wall. It bridges the separation um, when dialogue occurs, words penetrate the walls between people. And the purpose of dialogue, and this is important, is mutual understanding, which leads to the three E's. you got to have three things for dialogue. We mentioned them last week. Do you remember any of them? told you one of them. Empathy. That's the last one. Remember the first one? Equality. Again, you can't have dialogue until you come down to somebody's level and treat them as an equal. If I'm your boss, and you're my employee, and I say, oh, come in, and, and I'm up on this platform, come in and have a seat. I want you to be open with me. Yeah, sure. But if, you know, it's not going to happen. But if I say, and if I come down to the level, same level, I say, you know what, I'm the boss, you're the employee, but I really, for the purpose of this discussion, can we just lay aside our roles? I have some things I want to talk to you about, and I'd really like your honesty and your candor. So I want to be equal. So, okay, that's something that will open the door to dialogue. Now, you may or may not, but it's got to be there. Equality. And then there's empathy. Again, the purpose of dialogue is not to win an argument. If you're doing dialogue, you're not thinking about, he's saying this, but i got to remember because I'm going to say that. And I'm going to counter. That's not dialogue. Dialogue is when you really want to understand. Now, I might disagree with you. Tell me more about that, will you? I don't understand that. Does that mean then that that you would think this? And I'm looking and I'm really trying to understand. It's got to be there for dialogue to occur. There's got to be equality, empathy, and then the third thing is exploration. I want to understand your views and I want you to understand mine. It's not just that I'm going to listen to you, but I'm going to listen to you to understand what are your values. What what is the basis upon which you approach life? I want to understand that. And I can only understand it if I empathize with you. And then I try, I start to, you're saying this. Now, this is important to you, right? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, that's exactly what I'm saying. Let me tell you what's important to me. This is important to me. And if you are open to dialogue, you're going to say, tell me more about that. And all of a sudden, you know what we're doing? We're building a bridge. Building a bridge. Now, we're going to go away and we're going to, feel different things, but you know what I'm going to feel? That person listened to me. And because that person listened to me, I'm more inclined to listen to them. How to win friends, influence people. Wisdom is evidenced, James would say, by this kind of treatment. And and he will go on to say, peacemakers who sow in peace raise a harvest of righteousness. Wisdom is emph- emph- is evidenced by the peace that dialogue encourages. There was a Jew named Heinz, lived in the Bavarian village of Firth. That was a time when Hitler's anti-Semitism was infecting a continent. Hitler youth were overrunning the village. Um, Heinz would go to the other side of the street when he saw these uh, anti-Semites on the other side of the street. One day in 1934, he was confronted by a Hitler bully and a beating appeared inevitable, but he was able to walk away unharmed because of what he said. He developed a skill and a capacity to use words, not just to, but to broker a sense of understanding. So he was able to continue on his way. This other person continued on his. His family escaped to Bavaria and made their way to America where Heinz became associated with peace negotiations in the Nixon administration. We know him by his name, Henry, became the Nobel Peace Prize winner, Henry Kissinger. Um, peace, interesting thing, biblically, biblically. When we, and what we want to do is, is we want to look at a couple things, the fruit of righteousness and the effect of righteousness. And what we're going to find is that righteousness and peace in the Bible, go right together. You can't really have one without the other. If you have righteousness, you have peace. If you have peace, you have righteousness. These two concepts always arrive and leave together. That's what we're going to find. Look what it says when we think about the fruit of righteousness. James three eighteen, Peacemakers who sow in peace. Raise a harvest of righteousness. Peacemakers who sow in peace. Raise a harvest of righteousness. If I want some good things to come up out of a conversation with you, I want to influence you, but I want the result of the influence to be something positive. What I'm going to have to aim at is peace. That's why we need to understand what peace is, don't we? If I'm looking for contention and conflict, it's, it's not going to lead to the kind of thing that God wants to produce. Uh, again, can you always avoid, can you avoid conflict all the time? No, you can't always avoid it. But your intent is never to enter into conflict except if you have to. That's what we'll find. anyways. Um, to understand one passage of Scripture, it's helpful to understand, especially in the New Testament, where are they getting this from? And what we find is that James is almost certainly thinking about a passage from Isaiah. Look what it says in Isaiah 32:17: The fruit of righteousness will be peace. The effect of righteousness will be quietness and confidence forever. There's a close relationship between righteousness and peace. The fruit of righteousness is peace. The fruit of peace is righteousness. It's the same sowing, it's the same crop. They arrive or leave together, and we'll see that that's, that's important. There's a close relationship. Uh, peace means, biblically, well being or wholeness. When somebody has peace, they're in a good spot, they're in an ideal spot, they're in a place where they're going to be taken care of. Biblically, we'll see it's not so much an emotion as it is a reality, okay, I am in a good spot. I'm in a place where I'm going to be protected and provided for. That means I have peace. I live in peace. And again, you'd see that it's somebody who's in a relationship with God where he's not an enemy, but he is their protector, their benefactor. Somebody who is under the protection and provision of God is in a good spot. They have peace. That doesn't mean they feel peaceful, because as we'll see in the Bible, peace is not a feeling, it's a fact. During Jesus' time, Israelites greeted one another by saying, Shalom, Shalom. It's the Hebrew word for peace. It was said as an expression of hope. If I say Shalom, I was saying, boy, I hope everything goes well for you. Uh, It's like saying, Nihao, in Chinese, ni hao, ni is you, hao is well, you well, it's shalom, I hope you're well. It's an expression of, that's what I hope for you. When Jesus said, peace I leave you, my peace I give you, he was expressing a different kind of peace. See, if I say to you, shalom, ni hao, be well, it's a hope, I'm not in control. But if Jesus says, Shalom, he says, Peace. He's in the the place to push the buttons and to pull the strings. And when he says, Peace be with you, it's not a hope. It's concrete. It's a reality. It's a fact. Whether we feel it or not. See, when Jesus says, My peace I give you, he's not saying, I'm going to give you a feeling of peace. He says, I'm going to give you peace. I'm going to provide for you and protect you. That's what it's different from Jesus' lips. He doesn't say, I hope that things go well for you, but things will go well for you. Your life will be characterized by well being and wholeness. He's God, therefore, He's the only one with the power to assure peace. It's not an expression of longing. In fact, what we'll see, God's peace is a fact, not just a feeling. It's a fact, not just a feeling. He didn't say, I give you feelings of peace. He says, I give you peace. And this is something whether it's in place whether you feel it or not. So I have a question. you have God's peace? You say, yeah, I must not because I feel anxious. You don't understand the question or understand peace. I'm not saying do you have peaceful feelings because sometimes we don't have peaceful feelings. There's something that happened. There's some things that we're going to have to deal with. There's problems at work, and so if peace is a feeling, I ask, do you have peace? And you would say, no, I really don't. I have conflict within my family. I have conflict with a neighbor. I have conflict with a boss. I have conflict inside. I don't do. And so, no, I don't have peace. But biblically, that has nothing to do with it. Nothing to. Well, really. Maybe I'll say it that strongly. God's peace is, is God your protector? And is he your provider? If he is, through faith, not a hard thing, then do you have peace? Do you have peace? Yes. And it's hard because then if I if you have troubles, then it's, it's hard to believe that peace and troubles can coexist. But biblically, we'll see God's peace lives in the midst of troubles. Um, peace changes in the Bible. If you look in the Old Testament of the Bible, peace means prosperity and bodily health and contentedness. In fact, eternal blessings are eclipsed by temporal blessings. That's the way it is in the Bible. I'm going to say that again. In the Old Testament, eternal blessings are eclipsed by temporal blessings. You know what an eclipse is, right? Both things exist, but one obscures the other. And in the Old Testament, there are eternal blessings and temporal blessings. In the Old Testament, temporal, eternal this is the way it goes. You can't see eternal blessings in the Old Testament because the sense of eternity is not clear. Again, there's a few fleeting allusions to eternity, but eternity is very shadowy. The people who lived in the Old Testament times had no sense that of an afterlife or heaven. It says in Job, I know that my Redeemer lives, and in the end I will see his face. And, and so there's a few fleeting allusions, but they're very is as, as a whole, you went into the ground, and that was it. So the reason you live for God in the Old Testament was to get temporal blessings. Now, what ends up happening in the New Testament, because Jesus brings immortality to light, this is what I mean. If, etern- if eternal blessings are being eclipsed by temporal ones, and here's what Jesus does. Now, he brings immortality to light, and now eternal blessings eclipse earthly blessings. And that's what you find in the New Testament. And so you say, well, so what, Mike? Um, it's important because if you are going to argue for a prosperity gospel, you know what I mean by that? gospel of prosperity, that if you believe enough, God will give you all the money and he'll give you all the benefits and he'll give you all the things. Now, can you argue that from the Bible? And the answer is, yes, I'm glad I saw some of you say no and some of you say yes, and you're both right. Can you argue it from the Old Testament of the Bible? Yes, you can. And that's why if you see somebody on the TV talking about, well, you give this and God will give that, you're going to hear an Old Testament scripture from their mouth because that's the way it was. Temporal blessings, eternal blessings, like this. But now Jesus does this. Can you argue that from the New Testament? Absolutely not. How many real wealthy people do you hear about in the New Testament? Are oh, there some? But Jesus wasn't the picture of prosperity when he goes to the grave. Neither was Paul. Neither was James. Neither was John. Neither was Peter. Neither was Priscilla and Aquila and Junia. And I could go on and on. And what's the difference? In the New Testament, eternal blessings eclipse earthly ones. And that's why we've got to be careful. Be careful. You know, we'd like to parlay faith in God to get it now, but that's confusing because then we end up, well, thinking like this, thinking only in terms of 40, 50 years. Guess what? I'm not going to be alive 40 and 50 years from now. Some of you might. None of us are going to be alive 100 years from now. But here's the question you have peace. Say, well, Mike, I really don't. I mean, you were talking about we're going to be dying. Of course, uh, okay. I'm, I don't ask that you have peaceful feelings. I don't like to think about dying. I don't want to, I, I'd like to move into heaven, but I don't want to move out to get there. You know what? I don't want to be around when I can't breathe and I'm fighting for breath. I don't want to be there, but I will be, and I'll have to endure the things that we have to endure. We don't know how we're going to go. The process of moving out makes us feel anxious, and you know what? That's okay. Biblically, it's it's okay to long for heaven but not want to move out to get there. Paul felt both things. So if you're a Christian, you think, Mike, I think of dying, and I'm not really comfortable about it. Does that mean I'm not a Christian? No, it means you're honest. I mean, who of us wants to die? I like to be there with him from what it says about him. And So, is, do you have peace? If we have peace with God, if we see him as the God who he is, reflected by Christ, coming to open up a relationship, if we spend time, I don't need to tell you that, because that's why you're here. That's why you're here. There's not a lot of things you get here. There's some things, good music, and a good place to plug in basically what this place is though I, I think the place you're gonna get the as best we know it truth. the truth isn't always pretty but it's true and the truth is that God is gentle He's open. He wants to embrace you in an eternal relationship tells you well look what it says. Romans 5, 1 through 3. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God. Not a feeling. It's when you're justified, declared righteous, you have peace with God. And, okay, so what? With God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we we have gained access by this faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. So what it means to have peace with God? It means I stand in the hope of God's glory. I am going to be there with him someday. And then you'd like it if it stopped here. Peace with God means I just think about eternity, and I think about being with him, and I don't want to move out to get there, but okay, and that's but that's not where it goes. Look at verse 3. Not only so, but we also rejoice in our suffering. You know what happens here? Eternal blessings eclipse temporal ones. And what ends up happening gets inserted. If you're a follower of Christ, there will be things in your life that make you anxious. And if there's not, I'm concerned. People say, well, if you're a Christian, you, don't, you won't have those things in your life. Well, look at what it says in the Bible, in the Old Testament. What does it say in the New Testament? There's going to be things to make you anxious. But then there's a question, do you have peace? Because you, peace coexists with troubles. Even though you have troubles in your life, the fact is you're in a good spot because God will protect and provide, even though he leads you into this. And this is important. It's important to realize that that troubles and peace coexist. Those who have heavenly peace have earthly troubles. God's peace is not like the world's peace. We associate peace with the absence of trouble and the removal of danger. That's what peace means. No troubles, no danger. Get the hammock. Give me a glass of lemonade. That's to worry about. Uh, and that's 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 a that's a form of peace. God's peace is not tied to the absence of danger. The peace of God is not tied to the absence of anything. It's tied to the presence of something. You know what God's peace is tied to? The presence of God. Not the absence of danger, the presence of God, not the absence of troubles the presence of God. So even though you have these troubles you're walking through, guess who's close by? He is. Sometimes we think, well, if I have trouble, God must have went somewhere. He didn't go anywhere. On this side of eternity, eternal blessings eclipse temporal ones. Just because you have trouble in your life doesn't mean anything. It doesn't mean that you're misstepping. It means you're in a good spot. It's... Not a spot that might make you feel good, but God's with you. That makes it better. Makes it better. God doesn't promise to remove difficult circumstances. He he promises to walk with you in them. See, we get peace mixed up. Conversation taking place in a home. And we, we understand these kind of conversations. Some of us grow into homes that we really understand this. The conversation gets perilously close to a subject that makes someone angry. Make someone angry we're getting awfully close to don't doom and some of us would see ourselves as peacekeepers, and we are really good at changing the subject. Oh hey, did you hear about them bears? boy, I tell you what did you see that game? It was getting awfully close to that subject that we don 't talk about and and so the peacekeepers we walk in and and some of us are funny and and some of us we ask interesting questions about over there, but we steer everything away from conflict. And that's a form of peace. The problem is that sometimes the matter desperately needs to be addressed. And avoiding confrontation at all costs overlooks difficult issues. And what ends up happening, everybody wears a happy face, but the happy face is this thin. Because the fact is, we really need to have a discussion. But it can be dialogue. It can be dialogue hey, we need to talk about this. Now, let me, let me, so let me find out where you are in this. I know, I know we have a problem. There's a disagreement. You're on that side of the equation, I'm on this side. I want to understand, and I want you to understand me. Is this what you're saying? Equality, empathy. This is how I feel. Now, now you, and you know what ends up happening? It's dialogue. Dialogue is very powerful. Very powerful. Now, it doesn't remove issues, but at least both of us feel heard, and that's important. And joy comes in the morning, M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G, morning. Dave Johnson writes about the no-talk rule. You know about that. Some of us grew up with the no-talk rule. We must not talk or address this matter because there are different opinions, and the no-talk rule does indeed create a kind of peace. It really does. If controversy is avoided at all costs, nobody gets upset. No one gets angry. No one has hurt feelings. But at best, he says, this is a pseudo-peace, short-lived. It is surface serenity rather than a deep peace of the heart. No one deals with the real issues when he or she embraces this kind of peacemaking and the war is still raging inside. The pattern is visible in families with addiction. Addiction comes around because addiction is a way to avoid having to deal with difficult issues. If I'm three sheets to the wind, I don't have to face the issues that create resentment. That's one of the, There's a number of addictions. Um, in the name of peace, the spouse and the children know that there are certain things that they must not talk about. You know what this is called? Some of you, some of us do this very well. Eggshells. And we know we don't want to walk on eggshells, so we tiptoe very carefully around certain issues that... And some of us are really good at this, and in a way, that's a form of peace. It's even appropriate sometimes. But you know what the issue is? Is sometimes that even though there's going to be some heated emotions, we really have to talk, and it's not loving or healthy not to talk. Now I'm not again, but it's hard, isn't it? Some of you are saying, "Oh, hey, this isn't hard at all." <laughs> some of are, some of you are really good. Some of us aren't as good at it. We. I'd call about peacemakers but it's really not peacemaking is it What is it peace faking We're not peacemakers we're peace fakers See everything's fine <laughs> Don't look behind the curtain everything everything's fine it's, it's surface Again I'm not blowing you up if I blow you up if I put a finger at you there's it's a bunch of fingers pointing back at me so I can not um, but we've learned in some of our homes we really didn't have a we really didn't have an option because in some of our homes dialogue couldn't happen. Too much anger. Too much rage. Some of your homes dialogue couldn't happen because your opinions weren't respected. Unfortunately, people around you didn't want to know what you thought. And you learn to keep your mouth shut. And I understand that. And so does God. But he is not like the one that told you to shut up. God doesn't want you to shut up. God says, speak freely with me. That's what he says. Speak freely with me. Express it. Get out here what's in here. That's why joy comes in the morning. You know, mourning is not just feeling something. It's saying it out loud. That's the word for mourning. And you know what God says? Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. When's the last time you felt sad with God? God, I know that you love me and protect me, but here's the fact, I'm dying inside. You know what God says when you say something like this? He leans toward you. If I sympathize with you, and that's what, remember he talked about sympathy? If I'm having a conversation with Dan, and he senses that there's understanding, now if, if I look at him and if I'm really listening, I say, Dan, tell me more. Gee, I understand that. You know what's going to happen? He's going to start to lean toward me. And he's going to start to open up. Now, we have these conversations. You know what's surprising? Jesus was like that. And he reflected the Father. The Father is like that. You know what he says to you? Really, God Almighty, I want you to talk freely with me. Respectfully, but freely. Surprises us. Because it's not like some of us, the homes we grew up in. <laughs> and so there's peace. But you know what the deal is with peace? Sometimes peace, again, lies on the far side of conflict. I was in Harrison, Arkansas this past week. And I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to label the town it's going to seem. I'm, I'm categorizing it. But I'm just going to tell you what I saw. And then I'll, so I'm driving down Harrison, Arkansas, small maybe 8,000. I don't know how big It's not a big town. And there's a sign right on the right. And it's very stark, pretty big. Anti-racist is a code word for anti-white. And it kind of, gee, comes out at you. And I just, holy smokes, did you see that? And what I've learned about this community, it is it's deeply divided, used to be horribly racist, and is a Ku Klux Klan kind of center and of sorts. But what's happening, it's changing. In fact, they had Martin Luther King Observance Day, and guess where they had it? right in front of the sign. Anti-racist is a code word for anti-white. And that's what they did in this town, the Martin Luther King Memorial Celebration. So again, it's a town deeply divided. But I think we understand that the way we are now, that we have a black president, probably wouldn't have existed if anybody took, don't say anything offensive. In fact, if Martin Luther King took that tact, We would not be where we were. Abraham Lincoln had taken that tack. Sometimes peace lies on the far side of conflict, doesn't it? Because peace doesn't mean just it's nice for me and my 2.5 kids. (laughs) Nice little life, not really bothered by much. Sometimes peace means that we roll up our sleeves and that we move into turbulence for the sake of somebody else. See, peace, we'll see biblically, is not individual. It's corporate. Peace is corporate. If I live in fatness and luxury and you're dying on a vine and I say, peace be still, (laughs) I'll pray for you. That's not peace. Neither is it wisdom. Neither is it gentleness and neither is it righteousness. Even though I'm moral, I would never do immoral things, but I'm just a little bit too busy being moral to get involved in things that are kind of disturbing. Now that can be a form of religiousness, but it's not wise, and it's not righteous, because righteousness and peace go together. The effect of righteousness, what it says, Isaiah See, a king will reign in righteousness and rulers will rule with justice. Each man will be like a shelter from the wind and a refuge from the storm, like streams of water in the desert and the shadow of a great rock in thirsty land. The scoundrel's methods are wicked. He makes up evil schemes to destroy the poor with lies, even when the plea of the needy is just. But the noble man makes noble plans and my noble deeds he stands. This king comes on the scene. A king is somebody who is not just concerned about their family. They're concerned about the community as a whole. And so this king who reigns in righteousness comes, and what ends up happening, he ends up enforcing righteousness. And this is where we understand God's goodness. God is a good father. He is. And that's personal, and that's you to him. However, if you look, In his eyes, God is also a good king. And his love is both fatherly and kingly. And his kingly love is far-reaching. And he would have you look to where he is looking, not just me and you. He does that. But what he'll do is, look where I am looking. And he's looking at, people that need to know about him. And they need to be dialogued with. And so he moves us, sometimes out of our comfort zone, into the turbulence of other people's lives. Um, Noble means voluntary, uncoerced offering. If we have an offering, and I... Send the bag around again. Oh, Gushers, come forward. Send the bag around again. And let's look to see who gives and who doesn't. In fact, Tony Campolo, this guy once, he, he did this offering. They said, pray for the offering. And so that was a bad idea. Bad idea. Tony Campolo had him as a sociology professor at the University of Pennsylvania. And he's, he's feisty. So anyways, so they had him come up for this offering. And then he said, I'll tell you what let's do. Um, we're going to form a line. And he and we're going to start here. And why don't you guys come up? And so what I want you to do is I want you to come in before we ask God to provide this money. I want you let's come up and give us the money you have. And then the guy who asked him to come up and pray said, no, "I understand what you're trying to say. No, you don't. Start here. Stand up. Stand up. And that's what he had him do. <laughs> Just kind of go through the line, and then they ended up." Hmm. Giving them money, and then these guys on this side. And then he ended up saying something like it's a, it's a sin to um, ask God to provide something he's already provided. Now, there's a sense of coercion involved in that. That's not a noble offering. That was coerced. Again, I'm not blowing it up. A noble offering would be one that would be voluntary, uncoerced. It's when, listen, we have a need. We see this all the time whether it's camp or improvements or ministry in general we don't force we don't you know we don't do we don't use outdated old testament scriptures to try to influence you to believe that if you give a thousand god will give you 10,000 back because you remember that that was existed in the old but not in the new now will god bless giving yeah but not by giving you a million dollars if you give him a hundred thousand. God's not a banker. He doesn't give you a great return on your investment. Yeah, there is, but you understand what I mean. Anyways, we won't do that because it's it's got to be uncoerced. That's what a noble, that's what noble means. Um, it's voluntary uncoerced concern for the poor and the oppressed. Wise people are a shelter from the wind, a refuge from the storm, a stream of water in the desert in the shadow of a A rock in a weary land. It talks about foolish people. They leave the hungry without food. Leave the thirsty without water. Destroy the poor with lies. They withhold justice. Somebody who may be moral, but is selfish. You know what? We tend to define righteousness individually. Are you a righteous person? You know what we tend to think? Well, yeah. I don't have extramarital sex. I'm a righteous person. is that part of it? Yeah, part of it. We tend to divide, define righteousness morally, privately. I try to monitor my thoughts. You know what the Bible does? It doesn't make righteousness private. It makes it corporate. And if we live in this holy huddle, unconcerned and unaware, of the things around us. Again, I'm not putting a load on us. All I'm trying to do is define what the what is. Righteousness and peace go together, and peace is not private. It's well-being, not just for me, but for us. That's what the Bible seems to indicate. Um, God, the noble man makes noble plans, and by noble deeds he stands. Noble is concern for the poor and the oppressed. An uncoerced concern for those who are without. I'm going to define that again. And this is a verse you might remember. It uses the word, but the noble man makes noble plans, and by noble deeds he stands. I bet you you could remember that verse, couldn't you? It says noble three times. Do you know what noble means? Willing, uncoerced concern for the poor and the oppressed. There's a person over there. My life might look good. His doesn't look that good. And so what I do Not because I'm forced to. I move towards him to understand. That's noble. The noble man makes noble plans. And by noble deeds, he stands. I bet you you could remember that verse. Think it with me. There's three phrases in it. The noble man makes noble plans. And by noble deeds, he stands, he's wise, he's righteous, he's a peacemaker. I think that's the picture the Bible creates. Um, why isn't there mobility? nobility? Why? I'm going to hit one last point and then we'll be done. I'm going to ask Joel to come up. Um, look at Leviticus, the last verse here. Do not offer to the Lord, the blind, the injured, or the maimed, anything with warts or festering or running sores. It's talking about offerings to God. Do not place on the altar these on the altars an offering made to the Lord by fire. You may, however, present a free will offering. You know what a free will offering means? A noble offering. That's the same word. Noble and free will are the same thing. You can give as a free will offering an ox or sheep that is deformed or stunted. And so here's the deal. Here's the point. A sin offering had to be perfect, and that had to come first. If you had a sin issue, you had to take care of the sin issue first. That had to be perfect. So if you have a stunted, deformed, imperfect offering, you didn't offer that for a sin offering. That had to be perfect. But if you had the sin offering, that comes first. If you take care of that, now this is a free will offering. That doesn't need to be perfect. So you can offer that thing that's imperfect. You know why nobility is not what it might be? We're, we got things confused. We're trying to use service to buy something that only a perfect offering can buy. You, know, you understand what I mean? So we, we go to this guy over there, the poor, the oppressed guy. And we say, here, let me help. Now, here's what I'm doing. I'm taking, I don't have much. But what I do have, I give to him. You know what I'm doing? I'm using a free will offering to do something that it can't do. God's not going to look at my offering and say, well, God, shucks, Jesus, look at that. Jesus and spirit, look at that. Isn't that? No, that because God provided the perfect offering. We're not accepted because of what we do. We're accepted because of what he did. What he did on the cross. He's a perfect... And you know what happens? You know what the deal is now? Well, I ask the question. Do you have peace? Do you understand what happened at the cross? You say, Mike, I don't have peace because of all the rotten things I've done. Do you know what happened at the cross? Did God pave the way for you to have a relationship with him? In spite and in the face of what you've done, was Jesus' sacrifice enough for you? Was it? You say, Mike, no, you don't know what I've done. And I've said this before. You really think you're going to stand on the cross, look up to Jesus and say, nice try, Jesus. not enough for what I did. Come on. Come on. So, Is Jesus' death enough for you to have an eternal relationship with God? Do you have peace? You don't feel peaceful, but it's not about feelings, is it? You know why we get stuck? We don't come to the point where we have the sin offering taken care of. Is your sin offering taken care of? And if it is, you know what you can do? Take your imperfect service now. It doesn't need to be perfect. It can be stunted, deformed. He can and will use you just as you are because it's not about being forgiven anymore. It's about doing something for free. You've already been forgiven. You have peace. The righteousness that flows from that peace Gets involved in other people, not looking at because he already loves you. He knows it's not perfect, but we do what we can. Does that make sense? Makes sense? Well, come on up. There's a, I'm not going to read it. Look at the life-saving station. It's a parable that talks about churches can get so involved in the business of church that we lose sight of righteousness and we lose sight of Peace. Let me close this in prayer. God, your word says, "And the noble man makes noble plans, and by noble deeds he stands, willing, uncoerced, concerned for the poor and the oppressed, birthed by the understanding that we have peace with you, that you're not our enemy, you're not out to get us, you're not out to punish us. That stuff removed. We live in the light of eternal embrace and understanding that we can extend a hand that doesn't have all the answers, but has some of them. We can come alongside people. And that's the way you'd have it. Will you help us understand the way this thing works, that we might live good lives and the deeds that come from the humility, the gentleness that comes from wisdom, peace. In Jesus' name, amen. Glad you came. Have a great day.